Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So, you know, we're talking about making a U-turn in our life and how important it is for all of us to look at certain situations in our life or circumstances or maybe battles or struggles that we have and say, hey, you know, I've got to make a change here. I've got to make a a U-turn in my life, and and something's got to be different. Something has to be better. And so we've just been looking at different areas and places in our life that that maybe just need that little tweak or that little adjustment and and really just move in a different different direction. And so one of the famous stories, you've probably been around a church, you know, it's a a story that's very all familiar for those that are, you know, call themselves Christians. And and it's a story of amazing story. It's really, we we look at it oftentimes as a a love story, uh, but but really it's what's, it's better than that. It's a, it's a God story. I I think what always trumps a love story is a God story. And that what, what we see on the externals and what we see physically, there's something always bigger and there's something always something more spiritual happening that we don't see until we look back and go, wow, that was amazing. And I thought that this was what was happening, but really this is what God was doing. I thought this is what was taking place, but really this is what God, how God was working. And so this is the sort of the framework that I want to sort of use today and, and, and to understand some ways in which why and why we should make a U-turn uh, in our life. And so um, the story is, and you are familiar, like I said, it, the story is found in, in Ruth. Uh, Ruth, And it says that uh, in Ruth chapter number one, verse number one, it says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed, when the judges governed. Now this was a bad time for the nation of Israel. This was a time, this was a very, very difficult days for the nation of Israel. There was civil uh, division. There was a terrible moral and spiritual decay that was taking place. I mean, it was just a, a time in the nation of Israel where they didn't have a king, where they were just ruled by judges. And, it's, and it describes this time, and it's described, it's found in the, in the book of Book of Judges, uh, just to sort of give us a, a better picture of this. Judges 17, 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, Everyone, everyone, not, you know, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no one to rule them. There was no one to, you know, guard them. There was no one to set up parameters or guardrails, you know, for, for anybody to just kind of, you know, be, you know, protect themselves from, from, from themselves or protect themselves from, from danger. And so everyone just sort of like did what was right in their own eyes. And I think oftentimes this is a familiar approach to uh, culture in these days. It is oftentimes a a, a familiar approach to, for for many of us, to to say, you know what, I'm just going to I'm just going to do, I don't like what's happening here, and I don't like how this is run, or I don't really believe, you know, this. And so I'm going to just start doing what is right in my own eyes. And as oftentimes, when we think about times where we sort of, you know, get, fall into these traps, 
where we sort of, you know, kind of times where we maybe get into some financial debt or, or maybe we get into a place in our relationship that uh, isn't going in the right direction or, or maybe we, when we get into, we fall into what, what started out as maybe like a pastime uh, and then it became a habit and then, and then ultimately became an addiction. Um, oftentimes it, it, it's under the umbrella of or the banner of our freedom right? When we say, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as, and we sort of have this, like, this end tag, as long as no one gets hurt, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as nobody else get hurt, gets hurt. This is, and Tony talked about this last week, this is sort of the American culture. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and as long as nobody gets hurt in the process, that's okay. And oftentimes, what, what, is, what has caused us to hardship, causes difficulties, caused challenges in our life, is because it started out with saying, I have the freedom to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as nobody else gets hurt in the process. Also, here's what, you, here's what you probably already know when it comes to that kind of mentality, when people start doing what is right in their own eyes. Here's what happens when it comes to that mentality. You just become like everybody else. You don't do anything extraordinary. You just do something ordinary. And that's ultimately what happened here. Everyone so there was no, no one within that day that did anything extraordinary. And if they did, we're going to talk about it today. Anyone that decided, you know what, I'm not going to do what's right in my own eyes. I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of God. And when you do that, you become extraordinary. When you do what you think is right in your own eyes, and ultimately we do it under the umbrella or the mandate of freedom, but ultimately it just brings us into less freedom, into more oppression, and feel like we're in more you know, bondage in our, in our life when it comes to certain areas of our life, whether it's our, our health and our wealth or, or our well-being and you know, our, you know, our struggles or battles of, of the flesh. All of these things lead into that. All these things. So we don't want to be just like everyone, do we? No, we want to be extraordinary. We don't want to be ordinary. We want to be extraordinary. And how we become extraordinary is that we say, God, I want to do what's right in your eyes. I want to do what's right in your eyes. Now, this family decided that they're going to also be ordinary. And so they, it says, now it came about in the days when the judges governed, that there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. So Jewish man from Bethlehem, you're familiar with Bethlehem, right? Everybody familiar with Bethlehem? Okay. Uh, Jewish man from Bethlehem uh, this re said there was a famine. The story tells us there was a famine in the land. They, had, they were running out of food. They were running out of supplies. They were running out of options. They didn't know what to do. Things were getting tough. Things were getting challenging. We don't know what to do. And so they decide, he does, this, this man decides, I'm going to move my family out of Bethlehem and I'm going to move it to a place called Moab. 
And he did it with his wife and his two sons. Story goes on. It says, the name of this man was Elimelech, Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. So they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Now, here's, here's the picture. Here's the picture. They're in Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? Bethlehem means Bethlehem means house of bread. That's what, that's what Bethlehem means. It means house of bread. So here they are in Bethlehem. The irony of that, famine in the house of bread. And so here's what oftentimes we do. This is, this is what we are all guilty of in t- at times. Instead of enduring and staying in the house of bread, even though there was a famine, instead of enduring and trusting God, Oftentimes what I do and what you do on occasion is we, instead of endure it, we escape it. We escape it. We look for different escapes. We look for different ways to get out of a tough scenario, a tough situation. Instead of sometimes God wants us to endure it, we look for ways to escape from it. And that's what they did. That's what Elimelech did. He and his, and, and, and his wife, he, they and his two sons, they went and they left. Now, they left Bethlehem, the house of bread, didn't endure the famine, didn't trust God, instead moved in the wrong direction. You can't be right with God when you move in the wrong direction. You can't be in the will of God when you move out of the will of God in the wrong direction. And here they are, leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they go into Moab. Now, you know what God says about Moab? Moab is my wash bowl. That's what God described Moab. Moab is my wash bowl. Or Moab is my dirty sink after a big dinner, right? That's what, I, I know, it's so disgusting, right? Right? You remember the days before, yeah, not your sink, right? Not your sink. Remember the, remember the day, okay, we could take that picture off because it's just grossing everybody out. And so, thank you. So, remember those days where, you know, before dishwashers and you have like one side, it's, water's filled up, you know, and you're washing your, and then you got the other side of the sink and you're rinsing it off, you know, and then you put it in the thing. You know, this is, this is the description that God is giving of Moab. They left Bethlehem, the house of bread, and they moved into the wash bowl. That's not a good direction to go in. But oftentimes, this is a, a way that we move in order for us to, instead of endure things, we looked for a way to escape things. And when we, and they did that, why? Because they didn't, they didn't want to they didn't want to die. They, were, they, were, they, they didn't want to die in Bethlehem. They didn't want to, there was a famine. They, was, they were running out of options. They didn't know what to do. And so they're, they're trying to avoid with the thing that we all try to avoid, and that's death. They were trying to slow down or, or move or, 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 you know, sort of navigate around this thing that we all want to try to avoid, death. But yet, look what happens. It says then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her 
two sons. I mean, we know this. Death is, it's inevitable. It's, it's unavoidable. As hard as we try to get around it or slow it down or, you know, or, or avoid it in, in, at all costs, it's ultimately, we're all going to die. You're like, man, I'm really glad I showed up to church today. This is a depressing message. He's showing dirty sinks and talking about how death is inevitable. I get, listen, I, I get it. I get it. But, but that's the reality of, of life. That's the reality of life. And so what we need to understand is, is that where do our priorities need to be? What is something that we need to major in when it comes to the time that we have here in this life? And as much as Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons tried to navigate around to avoid it, it was still something that caught up to them and it will always catch up to you. So what do we do in that time that we have? And then it gets even worse for Naomi. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives, the two sons did. And the name of the one was Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then it says in verse 5, Then both Malon and Chilion also died. What? And the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I mean, how tragic this story is. How tragic, how challenging this, this story is for, for all of us when we go, man, life is, is tough. Life is, has its own difficulties of its own. But then to add to it, we make decisions to move in the wrong direction that only makes it more challenging. We, life is, we deal with all, all of us have dealt with so much pain and hurt and hardship that it's just unexpected and you weren't planning on it and you, 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 don't, you wouldn't wish it upon anybody else, but yet life just happens in that way. And yet when we add to that, moving in the wrong direction and outside of the will of God, how empty we feel oftentimes. And this is how... Naomi felt. But here is a mistake, and here's the mistake that we can all make. Here's a mistake, and we oftentimes, oftentimes, this is, this is, a, this is something that we oftentimes have to say, no, 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 I'm not going to go in that direction. And, and we're so enticed, and, and, and the world lures us into this direction, and, and, and that's just the way that this world works. And, and we always make this mistake, and this was the mistake that Elimelech and Naomi made for their family. And that was, it was this, and this is the mistake that we all make. The mistake of majoring in the physical and minoring in the spiritual. This is such a mistake, especially in a life that is fragile and futile and, 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 and always disappoints and, and never brings fulfillment never brings satisfaction. This is such a huge mistake that if we continue to venture out and to pursue things, to try to avoid danger, if we venture out to try to pursue things, to avoid famine in, 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 in tough situations and try to navigate out of that, 
It's we're majoring on and in the physical, and we're just minoring in the spiritual. And this is the mistake that Elimelech and Naomi made. And they don't want you to make the same mistake. Do you remember when Jesus was wandered into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days without anything to eat and he's starving? And then what happens? The tempter comes. The tempter comes in. And you know what the first temptation of the tempter was? Hey, if you really are the son of God, turn these stones into what? Bread. Oh, you're hungry. You're starving. You're famished. You're, you need, you're empty. You need to be filled. Why don't you take that? Why don't you take those stones and turn them into bread? And Jesus' response, which should always be the response for all of us, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's majoring in the spiritual and minoring in the physical. You remember the time when Jesus was walking with his disciples and Jesus wanted to stop off and take a break and he stopped off at this well, but really he had a divine appointment with a, with a Samaritan woman. Do you remember this story? Watching at home, you remember this story? And it says that the disciples, they went ahead and they went to go get some food. You remember this story? Remember? And, and he's hanging out at the well, and all of a sudden, here comes this Samaritan woman. She's drawing water, and it was midday, and that's not when you draw water normally. And she came to draw water, and really, she was just trying to avoid, you know, embarrassment. She was trying to avoid people. She was trying to escape from her life, and she was trying, and she shows up, and there's Jesus there waiting for her, and the disciples have gone into a town called Sychar, and as they're in there, they're doing their own, you know, lunch. They're having their lunch. You know, they get into Sychar. You know, they find a table in Sychar, and they get and they get seated, and they or they're getting a bunch of food for themselves, and they're thinking maybe we should bring Jesus some food, you know. And so they they order Jesus some bread and fish. I don't know. That's all we all know that they ate. Um, and, uh, and and who else? What else? I don't know. But uh, they, you know, they're thinking about that. And Jesus is all the while having this conversation with this woman. You know this, right? And he's telling her about all her husbands that she has. And she's like, whoa, you must be a prophet. And Jesus is like, I'm greater than a prophet. Let me just tell you that much. You know, I'm, I'm the living well. I'm the water that will always satisfy. That's what Jesus was saying to this woman at the well. Like, you're trying to draw water from here, but really you're, you're talking to the living water. You're trying to pull from this well right here to satisfy you. That husband and that husband and that husband and that husband, he'll never satisfy. He'll never fulfill. But who you're talking to right now, woman from Samaria, who no Jew ever talks to, no rabbi ever talks to, and no God should ever have a conversation with. He's telling her, hey, you come and you draw from me because that's who fulfills and that's who satisfies. You remember that story? And the disciples come back and there's He's, they're noticing that he's talking to her, this woman from Samaria, and he's wondering why in the world would this rabbi man who was a Jewish man talk to this woman 
and they're sort of wondering about this, and they're sort of questioning this. And they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you hungry? Jesus, do you, you need something? You didn't eat with us. We went in town, and we had a nice meal. Oh, and we forgot to bring food back for you, but are you hungry? And you know what Jesus' response to them was this? Look what he says. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus says, my life is majoring on the spiritual and, and minoring in the physical. That's my life. My life is my food, what satisfies me, what brings fulfillment in my life. This is so important. This is so important. What satisfies me is when I pour myself and I do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What brings life to me is when I do what God wants me to do. Even when things get hard, even when I don't want to endure, and even when I'm looking for a way to escape, just like, uh, you know, uh, Naomi did and her family, just like the woman at the well did. Anytime that we look for that place and we move out of the will of God, we're never going to be satisfied only until we realize, hey, my life is going to be majored on spiritual. Majored on spiritual. And I know I'm living in this world that needs some sort of physical nourishment, but that's where I'm, gonna, I'm just minoring in that. I'm just doing what I need to do in this life. But I'm, my life, my existence, the reason why I'm here, the reason why God put breath in my lungs, the reason why God gave me a, made me and created me and fearfully, wonderfully made me and put breath in my lungs, the reason why you woke up this morning, the reason why you were able to come to this place this morning is because that God has a will for your life and God wants to accomplish his work in your life. You're not exempt from that. You're not, you know, you haven't done too much in your past to eliminate you from that, to disqualify you from that. God has a perfect will and plan for your life. And if you want to experience in this life fulfillment and satisfaction, like after a good meal that you have, after you're done, you know that good meal that you've had before. When you're done and you just feel full and satisfied and you're like, that was good. That happens when you invest in the work uh, and the will of God. It happens for you and for me. And you know what they missed? The disciples missed that day. They missed that opportunity. And you know what Jesus said to them next? Look what he says to them next. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have come into their labor. What is he saying to them? Here's what he, he told his disciples. Hey, guys, you know how you went in to Sychar to go get some physical food? I wanted you to go into Sychar and I wanted you to do something spiritual there. I wanted you to go into that city and I wanted you to tell people about who you're with and who you're following. You know, you know how I'm the bread of life? You know how I'm the living water? You know how I'm the resurrection and the life? You know how I'm the way, the truth, and the life? You know how I'm your sustainer? You know how I'm your savior? You know how I'm your redeemer? You know how I'm, I'm the one that gives you all that you need when you need it? I'm the one. He, the, he, he wanted them to go into that city and tell those people that. 
He wanted him to go into Samaria in Sychar and say, hey, you never will guess, we found him. We found the Messiah. We found him and we're, we're with him. You need to come and see for yourself. But they missed. You know why? Because they were too busy looking at the bread and going, is this any good? Is, can I buy this? Is this, is this stale? Can I, is this good? Okay. They were too, they were too, like, how long has this fish been out? When, did, when was this caught? You know, like, was this caught a week ago? If it was, you need to be telling, you know, they were too focused on the physical. And all the while they missed the most important, the spiritual. And they come back and Jesus is going, guys, somebody even already labored there. And all you had to do was reap from what somebody already did years ago. And instead, you were so focused on physical things. You were so focused on your health, your finances, your career opportunities. You are so focused on your retirement. You are so focused on all these things in life that we can get caught up in and we can major on and neglect the most important things, like God's will for your life, like God's work for your life, God's plan for your life, what God wants to do, how God wants to use you in your, in your situation to get people to come to know Jesus. Like this is what they missed. And, and let's be honest, this is what we miss too. Because we're so majored on the physical and we're only minoring in the spiritual. And look what happens. Jesus is having this conversation with this woman at the well, right? It says, now from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Like that was her testimony. She went into her, her city after the disciples just came out of that city, that same city. She goes into her city and she goes, hey, I met a Jewish man. He was a rabbi. He, he says he's the living water and I believe him. You know why I believe him? Because he told me everything about me. And they all go, let's go meet him. <laughs> Let's go fight. Let's go see him. And it's because of her. And Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, you missed it because you were caught up in getting lunch or buying groceries instead of wanting to connect with somebody spiritually and introduce them to hope and living water. You see it? You know, another story is in the Old Testament, so tragic, so tragic. Jacob and Esau, these were brothers, right? And Jacob was, came out of the womb first, and, and, and as a result of that, he was given the birthright from his father. And so as given the birthright, that, that, that means great promises, you know, great inheritances, privileges as, as having that birthright that Jacob Jacob had. And, or excuse me, Esau, Esau had that. I'm sorry, yeah, I made a mistake. Esau had that. Esau had that. So Jacob didn't have that. Let me get this right. Let me get my Bible correct here. You're all going, no, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong. Esau had that. And then Jacob 
was looking for a way to take that birthright away from Esau. And you know what happened? You know what Jacob the deceiver did to do that? Esau, who had the birthright, right? We're all on the same page now. We're all on the same page. Esau had the birthright. Came back from hunting. After a long time of hunting, he must have forgot to pack his lunch. And he came back and he was starving. He was starving. He had, there was so much hunger and he was famished. He was so hungry. He came back and he's saying, he's saying to his brother, give me some of your stew. Jacob was making some stew, right, remember? And Jacob was, and, and you know what Jacob said to him? I'll give you a bowl of my stew in exchange for your birthright. And Esau said, okay. He exchanged his God-given privilege. Do you understand that when we, when we talk about God of the Bible, we, it's, it's, it talks about, there's many scriptures that say that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and it could have said Esau. But because Esau was so physically hungry that he was willing to exchange something that was given to him by God spiritually so that he could have a fleeting moment of something that would only satisfy him for a short time. Listen, don't exchange something that is is only fleeting and will only last a little while for something that God wants to do in and through you that will last forever. What happens to us is we start majoring on the physical and minoring in the spiritual. So then Naomi, after losing her husband and her two sons, are now have these daughters-in-law that are with her. And it's scripture tells us, we're going to pick it back in, up in Ruth. The scripture tells us, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the land of Moab. She's coming to a place now where she realizes, I've got to make a U-turn. I've got to make a U-turn. And she ar- arose with her daughters-in-law, to return to the land of Moab because she heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them food, right? God comes through. God always comes through. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that oftentimes, oftentimes, we hear the blessings of God, but we never experience them them for ourselves, We hear what God is doing over here. We hear what God is doing over there. Or we think, man, if I would have just hung on or stuck it out or endured a little bit longer, then I would have realized it and I wouldn't have gotten myself in a situation where I look to escape from my life and I've looked to find other solutions and I've looked to search out other ways that will bring me fulfillment in my life and I've majored too much in the physical and I've minored very little in the spiritual but then you start to hear how God is blessing how God is working and he's working where you're not why because we're out of the will of God we're out of the will of God 
It's like the, 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 the boy who, who took his father's inheritance. You know the story in Luke 15. The boy who took his father's inheritance and he went out and he lived his life. He moved out of the will of the father and he started to do what was right in his own eyes. You know this. He was trying to do what was right in his own eyes and it didn't work. He failed completely. And then look what it says in Luke 15. It says this, when he came to his senses. It's, as, it's almost like Naomi. This is the same idea. Came to her senses. God is doing a work in Bethlehem and we should have never left. Because that's the house of bread. That's where God is. That's the will of God. We should have never walked away from the will of God. And she came to her, he came to his senses. And look what he says. How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from hunger. I mean, in the will of God, in the plan of God, there's always enough bread. There's always enough. So the story goes that they start to head back towards Bethlehem. Her two daughters-in-laws said to her, we're going with you. And she said, no, 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 no. You need to go back to your family in, in Moab. You need to go back. You need to go back. And no, we're, we're, coming. We're, gonna, we're coming with you. And she insisted, Naomi insisted, you need, to, you need to go back. So Orpah said, okay, okay. I'll go back. I'll go back. But Ruth said, no, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going with you. And they get back into, into Bethlehem, and Ruth is with Naomi. And it says in verse 20, when they see Naomi, look what it says. But she said to him, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, you know this, if you've been a part of church, you know Naomi's name, Naomi's name means pleasant, means pleasant. And so that was the way that she probably was, it was her, her demeanor. So she leaves Bethlehem. She's in Moab for 10 years, you know, and she was, just, she was known as somebody that was just a pleasant person. You know these people. These are people who are just pleasant to be around, you know, and, and that's, what the, that's what she was. But then when she, after 10 years, she goes back to Bethlehem after 10 years, after realizing that, you know, that, that it wasn't working and things were only getting, you know, going from bad to worse. She says, You're, you need to call me Mara. And her name, her, that she wanted to be called Mara. And the Mara means bitter, bitter. But she had, and, and here, here's, the, here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. God wants you to stay pleasant, and he doesn't want you to get bitter. But if we, life itself, are you with me? Life itself will make us bitter. And when we move into the wrong direction and we move out of the will of God and we move into a place out of the plan of God, all that's going to do is just going to make us more bitter at life and more bitter with God. And this is what happened to Naomi. She went from pleasant to bitter. And God doesn't want you in the time that you have God doesn't want you to be bitter at this life. 
God doesn't want you to be bitter at what at circumstances that are happening in, in situations. And oftentimes we make a mess of it ourselves because we move in the wrong direction. But do you know what Naomi had? She had a, a, a root. She was rooted in something that is important and something that is important for every single one of us. She, her root was understanding that her God was in the God of, 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 the, of you know, Yahweh. And, and she refers to him as the Almighty, the Almighty. And the Almighty means, the name of the Almighty was El Shaddai, El Shaddai. And here's what she had. Here's what Naomi had. And maybe this was something that Ruth wanted for herself. And we're going to look at that in a second. But here's what something that Naomi held on to. Even when she was bitter at life, even when it was difficult in life, and even when she even moved out of the wrong way and the wrong direction of life, she still held on to this one truth about God, that he is the Almighty, that he is the El Shaddai, which means God who is enough or sufficient. Do you know this to be true about your God? I hope you do. When you've experienced life's challenges and life's difficulties, and when you're feeling the sense of getting bitter at what's happened and where you found yourself in this life, and oftentimes it's because life is difficult and life has its challenges, but oftentimes it's because we move out of the will and the plan of God. Listen, you need to know something, that God is El Shaddai. He is God who is enough and he is God who is sufficient. You can try to draw from that well. You can try to pull from that thing. You can try to look to that physical thing for life, but you'll never find it. You'll only find it in El Shaddai. He is enough and he is sufficient. Am I right? Those of you that are in the room, come on. He is your almighty. And what she got was bitter. But instead, she had a glimmer of realizing that he's almighty, that he's a God who is enough, and he's God who is sufficient. And the, 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 that name means he's a bountiful God. He's a bountiful God. He's enough, and he's sufficient, but he's even bountiful. He's, he wants to give you more. He wants to bless your life in, an, in a way that you can't even imagine. Being in his will and being where he wants you to be. Not moving outside of that. But knowing that what God has for you right here and now is bountiful. And you know what else that, that name El Shaddai means? That name El Shaddai means God of the mountain. God of the mountain. So here she's holding on to this root, even in this bitterness. She's holding on to this root that God is enough that God is sufficient, that God is bountiful, and that God is God of the mountain. I don't know about you, but I'll, we all face mountains of circumstances in our life. We all have something in our life that we look at and we go, that is too big for me. That is too much for me. I don't know if I can get past that. I don't know if I can work my way around that. But I got news for you. Your God is named Almighty. He is El Shaddai. He's enough. He's sufficient, he's bountiful, and he's a God of your mountains. I don't know about you, but we just sang a song how our God can move the mountains in your life. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, he's the God of that mountain. That's who he is. 
And the, one of the times, one of the first times that God introduced himself as Al Shaddai was, about, was to a guy by the name of Abram. We know, we know him as Abraham. And when God came to Abram, he said to him, listen, now when Abram was 99 years old, that's old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And you know what God came to Abraham to tell him? Hey, Abraham, you, you know you, you're old. And you know your wife, Sarah, she's old, advanced in years. You're going to be you're going to have a child. <laughs> and it literally, the, the scripture literally says that Abraham fell down laughing. And so did Sarah. We're like, you want us to change diapers, God? We wear diapers. I don't know if that was appropriate or not. And God's going, um... I'm El Shaddai. I don't care how big your obstacle is. <laughs> Nothing is too impossible for El Shaddai. And we look and we pursue and we move into so many different directions in our life because we think I'm just going to do what's right in my own eyes. And all the while, El Shaddai is shouting to you and to me, I'm enough. I'm sufficient. I'm bountiful. And that mountain, that's a molehill for El Shaddai. And when that happens, when we come to that place in our life, we say, yeah, there's a famine. Yeah, I've experienced loss. Yeah, there's things that are empty. My fulfillment is staying and enduring in where El Shaddai is because he's the almighty and nothing else is. My roots and my foundation are in him. And nothing this world has to offer. So I'm here in this life. Yeah, I've got some things I got to take care of physically. But I'm not going to major in the physical. I'm going to major in the spiritual. Because he's enough for you. He's bountiful for you. And whatever mountain you have, that means nothing to the Almighty. And she said, and I don't want this to be your statement. Don't let this be your statement. Look what Naomi says. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And maybe that's where you're at today. You went away, you tried to pursue other things, look at other things, think, find fulfillment in other areas, and all you've done is come back empty. God wants you to be full, but you're full in him. You're full in him. 
and I'm running out of time. But you know, you already know, you already know. Ruth decided, I'm staying with you. Your God is my God, right? That she made that declaration. Your God is my God. If he's almighty, if he's who you, you say he is, then that's who I'm putting my trust in. And she went back with Naomi. And you know the story. She fell in love with a guy by the name of Boaz. Remember this? You remember, she fell in love with Boaz. And Boaz just so happened to be, you know, uh, you know his, his mom and dad, were, were his, his, their names were Solomon and Rahab. I don't know if you know the story of, of Rahab in the Bible, but that's where those were his parents. And then, and then they had a son by the name of, of, of there it is, Obed by Ruth. And, and Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, and Obed fathered Jesse. And then what happened after that, it says in verse uh, 6 of, of Matthew, it says that Jesse fathered David, the king of uh, David, fathered Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, which is what in the world? Why are you saying that, Matthew? But that's for another message for another time. And then 28 generations later, 28 generations later, it says this in Matthew 1, verse, we'll pick it up in verse 16. Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. There's a God, and his name is El Shaddai. And he's got a providential plan that you don't ever see. And you'll know and experience and know it one day. But for right now, for right now, let's just major on the spiritual and trust El Shaddai with everything in our life. And he will never, ever disappoint. And he always has a plan for you. He's got a great plan for you. Let's pray. Father, we just, uh, you're, you're almighty, <laughs> yet we can call you Father. <laughs> you're El Shaddai. You're sufficient. You're enough. You have more than enough. You're bountiful. And any mountain that we face, you move. You can move. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we understand that in life, life is hard enough. Life is hard enough. And then when we start moving out of the will of God, out of your will, when we start moving and doing what we think is right in our own eyes, it just gets more complicated for us. So I just pray, God, that we, from this day, go out full and stay full. That we go out full and we stay full because, because we're connected to you. And we major on everything that we do, we major it. Not on the physical, and it's so easy to do that because it's what we see. But we major it on the spiritual. And that's actually what's most important. That's actually why we're here. That's why we exist. That's why we're on this planet. Because you want us to be a part of something that is bigger than us. And you want us to connect others 
to you because you're El Shaddai. And I pray, God, that that becomes something inside of us that fills us up. And it's something that we want the world to experience because nothing in this world will ever give and will ever be sufficient and will ever be enough like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.